we bend over backwards trying to avoid feeling fear or any other uncomfortable thing. It's like, what would it be like if you just change your relationship to those things, increase your tolerance for them so that you didn't go running at the first sign of it? What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, the Spanish Taco, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to relationship coach Stephanie Rigg. Now, I randomly found her on Instagram talking about relationships, and it was the first person ever that was not super woo-woo and actually had solid, unique, actionable advice. What's wild was Stephanie used to be a corporate lawyer down in Australia, but after some soul-searching and Google-searching, she became a relationship coach to help people have a better and healthier love life. Now, she makes even more money being a relationship coach than she did as a lawyer. You can learn more about Stephanie at Stephanie Rigg, that's stephanierigg.com, and check out her podcast on Attachment. I wanted to learn how Stephanie got her first customers, took the bold step to quit a high-paying job to do something brand new, and how do you improve your relationships? I think you're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. One, how to have better relationships by trusting yourself and facing your fears. Two, what is a sunk cost fallacy and how to avoid it in your relationships. Three, enjoy life's little luxuries and be grateful for them. And a bonus, how do you get started on a new side hustle career and take some bold steps to quitting a high-paying job? Enjoy those things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Y'all need to go sign up for AppSumo.com slash Noah. Just join the newsletter, Insane Deals on Software to start or grow your online business. If you've been wanting to start a side hustle, go to AppSumo.com slash Noah, grab a few of the products, go sell them, be an agency freelancer. People are making a lot of money and also getting their own careers off the ground at AppSumo.com slash Noah, the best software deals online. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener Daytoro. That's a cool name. They left a review saying, Noah's the man. Are we making these up? Really useful information and very entertaining to say the least. Lots of good content provided through the questions asked and content ranges with each guest. Damn, I love you. And every other one of gorgeous listeners out there in the world. If you want to shout in a future episode, leave a review or have a listen to this podcast. Check every single one of them. What time is it down under? It is 8 a.m. Oh. And it is a cold and rainy Friday. What's your morning like? Today or on any given day? I would say today. Today is nice and spacious. I've got a clear calendar. I try to keep my calendar clear on a Friday to sort of have a bit of space. So are you going to plan stuff to do all day is what you're telling me? No. <laughs> it's funny. I'm one of those people that like gets very overwhelmed and resistant by a full calendar, whether that's like social stuff or work stuff. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yuck. So I'm always very happy to look at a clear day and be able to play it by ear a bit. I will do some work bits and pieces, but I kind of like to work in big chunks. So it's always nice to have the space to do that. I love your voice. It's very soothing. Because <laughs> you could be like, read me bedtime stories or ASMR. What's your dream work day? That's such a good question. It's something that I've really been sitting with recently. Like, what's the ideal in terms of, so obviously I do client work, but I've been, you know, playing with like online courses and sort of transitioning to that, you know, one to many kind of model. And so I've had to ask myself the question of like, what's my ideal balance? And, you know, how much client work do I want to be doing? And all of that kind of thing. And I think my ideal work day would probably be maybe one client session, a bit of writing, you know, a bit of like the business side of things, because I do really enjoy that. But then like, I'm happy with some me time doing a bit of work at a cafe, like having the freedom to just be able to follow the day. Sounds excellent. We'll see. It's a bit trial and error. Yeah. It's nice to have the luxury. Is it a luxury? I used to be a corporate lawyer, so it's a luxury to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
What was life like before? Busier and less fulfilling, I would say. I think because I've had that version of life of like busyness as a badge of honor kind of thing, like I'm so mindful of it and have to be really deliberate about because there's some muscle memory there. And it's like, yeah, I actually, I know how that story ends and I wasn't what I want. I know what that costs me to live like that. And so I, it has been a real like deliberate stepping away from it, choosing something different. What was the story there? I just had to sort of get really honest with myself about the life that I wanted to live. And I think that when you can project forward five or 10 years, and for me, it was like, fuck, if I'm still doing this, I'm going to be so disappointed in myself for not being courageous. You know, whether it's a career change or a relationship or anything, it's just like, if I can fast forward and I don't like the picture, but I'm too scared to make a change, like that's a pretty big wake up call, right? How did you get to that realization? I think just with some soul searching, to be honest, it had probably been bubbling away for a while. And a part of me was like, yeah, that's not what I want for my life. I know that, but it's so easy to kick the can down the road, right? You're like, oh, okay, yeah. Like, I'm not going to do this forever, but I'll do it for another year or two. It's that whole sunk cost thing. And it can be so addictive to just get stuck in it because of the time already invested, right? It's like, oh, I went to university for five years and now I've been doing this. And But you get trapped in that because the longer you stay, the harder it is to leave. Same again for a relationship. I don't really follow a lot of relationship coaches online. I would say woo-woo spiritual advice. It's a jungle out there. <laughs> it's hard to you know traverse the weeds. Agreed. I've read a decent amount of books on relationships and so forth. One of my uh, best friends, we're both single, and he sends me yours. He's like, yo, this is like the only woman I listen to who's like real. I don't know if that's interesting for you, actually, having males follow your advice. I think a lot of your audience is also female. Yeah. But it just is great. Thank you. It's actually a really nice thing that, like, yeah, my audience is majority female, but a lot of men reach out and say similar things. And it's always a really nice thing because I think it can be harder for men to engage with that kind of work and be vulnerable and actually have a really nice amount of men, both like clients and in my programs, like doing the work. And it certainly doesn't discriminate based on gender, so needed across the board. This is one that like you post on Instagram, and I'll promote your stuff, Stephanie underscore rig with two Gs. One underscores as well. <laughs> is it one underscore or two underscores? Two underscores. Oh, okay, good luck out there, everyone. It's not You're not going to find it. Just search Stephanie rig, and we'll, we'll call it a day. But you, you said this thing, which is great. It's like, if you're on the cusp of a big change and feel torn, because you're scared of making the wrong decision, know this, you'll never regret doing the courageous thing. I was like, damn, that's good. Yeah, well, applicable to me leaving corporate law, applicable to a lot of people making a lot of decisions, right? You know, the thing that's like pulling at you is pulling at you for a reason. And even if the courageous thing leads you to like challenge and something that really stretches you, you know, I chose myself in that moment. I did the thing that felt true and I, you know, followed my integrity. You're never going to regret that. Even if it doesn't lead to where you thought it might or like the plan changes, it's like you're never going to regret trusting yourself and doing the scary thing. You can't lose. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that. I do have some relationship questions I was selfishly curious about, but I'm, I'm also interested in the business journey. Mm. How was the day you quit? And did you already have like all this lined up? What were you planning? 
No, it was, you know, not much of a plan at all. I had enrolled in a relationship coaching certification. So that was kind of the extent of the plan. But I had no plan in terms of really a business. It was going to be very much like, let's see what happens. But I just had a good feeling about it. And I knew that I would love it. And I also knew that it would be scary and hard. But I think I was fortunate enough to have like a level of of self-trust around my ability to make it work. And I think like resignation conversations are always like, it's always a bit of nervousness there. I told my boss that I was quitting to become a relationship coach and he was actually amazing about it. He was like, nah, you're too interesting to be a lawyer anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You've got way too much personality, I think is what he said. That was nice. But you signed up already for the relationship coaching? Yeah. So there was about a three month like gap between when I resigned and when I finished up and the program started. So that was sort of then retraining, building up a business in parallel. And here we are. Where are we? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I was hoping you would know. I have no fucking clue. (laughs) None. Yeah. But it's been a pretty cool journey, like very iterative and very, you know, a lot of trial and error in figuring out like what your business looks like and what your messaging looks like and navigating Instagram because a lot of coaching stuff is delivered through Instagram and the sales and marketing piece, you know, a learning curve. I think even in the last six months or so, I've had like massive growth and it's obviously struck a chord with people and so exciting times. What made you go into the legal profession? I think in part, like ever since I was young, my parents told me that I should be a lawyer because I was argumentative. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> that was part of it. But I did actually want to be a lawyer. And, you know, truth be told, I did actually enjoy being a lawyer. It just wasn't like, it wasn't enough. It didn't mean anything to me. And I wanted to do something that meant something to me. And so I had to get really honest about that. But I did actually want to be a lawyer. It wasn't like one of those, you know, family pressures of like, go be a lawyer or a doctor kind of thing. It was very much my choice. I would love to be sued by you. I'd just be like, well, yeah, she just sounds so nice. Like, yeah, she's probably right. (laughs) Because normally lawyers, you think these like slimy, kind of slick people and you're like very, you seem very sweet. Oh, that's nice of you to say. I was never like a litigator. I was doing corporate law, doing M&A stuff. So it was more transactional work. I worked with nice people. I think that I was lucky in that regard. That made it a lot more tolerable for the time that I was there. Like there are parts of law that are really, you know, analytical and intellectually challenging and stimulating. There's a lot of problem solving. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I just think that the reality is that's maybe five or 10%. And then there's like a whole lot of shit and long hours and pretty unhealthy cultures and all of that. So. How does someone soul search? You said you soul search to find this thing. Like, I mean, I think there was a lot of Google searching in amongst the soul searching. <laughs> 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 I'd probably make it sound more like you know, staring up at the stars than, than it really was. There's a process of being really radically honest with yourself. And like some of the questions that I asked myself and that I ask other people is, how do you want your life to feel? And then working back from that being like, okay, like what's not working based on how I want my life to feel? If 
I want my life to feel like spacious and grounded and I want a sense of purpose or I want to feel creative or all of those things. And it's like, okay, well, what's not working? Because I know that like my job in corporate law is not ticking any of those boxes. So can I get really honest about why would I expect anything to suddenly change? We do this thing of like, oh, I'll just stay until I get promoted or I'll just stay another year. And it's like, you're just getting more of the same. Why would you expect that to be anything else? But I think people get really stuck in the story of like, oh, I, I can't make a change because for whatever reason, right? What else would I do? It's like, yeah, there's a million things you could do. They might not all feel safe, but like that's where the courage piece comes in. I think it's just like the way we relate to fear as well. We've got so much resistance to anything that feels scary. So it's just like we bend over backwards trying to avoid feeling fear or any other uncomfortable thing. It's like, what would it be like if you just changed your relationship to those things, increased your tolerance for them so that you didn't go running at the first sign of it? Lately, I'm wondering what I'm actually afraid of. Mm. In dating, it's like, get married or be single or just keep dating. And I'm like, which part do I not like? Mm. Or what am I really afraid of in terms of where that goes? What do I make that mean? Like, what are the stories that I have around what that would mean for my life? Like, what does marriage mean and signify? And what's the fear around that? Is it like a loss of self? Is it a loss of freedom, a loss of independence? Where do those stories come from? And I think that's like the digging piece to do around those fears. Lately, with some of that stuff, specifically, it feels almost stressful. Mm. In all aspects of my life, it's like, oh, these are problems, these are challenges, these are fears. Like, I can address them. And that part is just like, ah, uh, it's like overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. Because we've all got our like protective mechanisms, right? And so, like, the question is, like, what am I afraid would happen if I didn't do those things? If I didn't like resort to those protective mechanisms, what am I afraid would happen if I didn't do that? And I think that's like another one of the big ones. It's like, oh, I'm afraid that. Someone might really know me. That can be pretty terrifying because it's like vulnerable as hell, right? To be really known by someone, not to be able to control the story. What are most of your calls like with your clients? They vary. Most people that I work with struggle with some variation of like relationship anxiety or anxious attachment fueled by a fear of abandonment and so leads people into these kinds of behaviors of clinging, overthinking, overanalyzing, like paranoia, jealousy, that kind of type. So I work with a lot of people in that bucket. In terms of like the way the call plays out, it's not like a structured thing. It's a bit of a conversation. Sometimes we'll go into talking about something. Sometimes I'll ask someone to like drop into their body a bit. So my work kind of combines like the intellectual stuff with the more somatic stuff to be like, okay, what do you notice in your body as you tell me the story? Because that's often more telling than like the story. We all just like spin ourselves around in the story, right? We've rehearsed the story a hundred times. And so I think a lot of people go to therapy and in some cases, like a good therapist will call you up on it. But in some cases, you just then get to like sit there and tell the story over and over again. It's just like you're spinning around in circles, right? Yes. And sometimes it's like, yeah, okay, just stop. I say to people like the story is less important than like what's going on in your body as you tell it. And so it's like, can we stop and check in with that? And it's like, oh, okay, I feel like a lump in my throat or a tightness in my chest or my butterflies in my stomach. It's like, okay, like 
stay with that. And almost invariably, when you go through that process, like all this really raw emotion bubbles up. And that's the thing that actually needs to be felt. Like the story doesn't matter. The story is just like the way we make it all make sense or we try to, but like the emotion is the thing that actually needs to come through more often than not when you interrupt someone when they're telling these stories about, you know, and then they said this and they texted me that. It's just like, just stop, take a big breath out. What's going on in your body? And then like the, the true thing bubbles up. What's going on in you now? <laughs> Such a good question. I notice a little bit of tightness in my chest because I really like use all of these somatic tools. There are certain things that I do to sort of prep myself for a session or for something like this that are like almost my anchors to keep me grounded in my body. So I have like the same candle that I'll light every time. And it's like, you know, it sends cues. I have like a heat, like a wheat bag on my lap, you know, like the ones you put in the microwave. So there's like all these little things that are like my somatic anchors that keep me in my body. It might sound like a little bit loopy, but it's, I think so many of us default to this really like disembodied state. Like I'm just so a hundred miles an hour in my head, jumping around, like doing all these things. And so for a lot of people to ask, like, what do you notice in your body? It's like, what's my body? Like I, I left that way back. Like I don't, I don't actually have that awareness to notice like sensations like oh do I feel heat in my face do I feel a tingling in my fingertips can I notice my heartbeat all of these things it's like okay can I anchor back into the like embodied experience of this moment and come back to myself and sort of bring my brain and body back into harmony almost why was there a tightness in your chest do you think Probably a bit nervous. <laughs> what about? I don't know. I think that I'm so used to being the questioner, right? And I think like when you have the spotlight turned back on you, it's probably the same tightness in my chest that I get low levels of when I go to therapy. And like I see a therapist every week. I think it's important. It's an important part of like my resourcing and my groundedness and like my toolkit. But it is like when you're so used to being the person you're not used to being in the hot seat. And so I think when like the spotlight gets turned on you, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> My turn. Bugger. <laughs> you're doing great. The hard part is just having to be yourself. Totally. I think that you're right. It goes back to the being seen thing. It's vulnerable. How did you get your first client? By referral from a friend. A guy that I used to work with referred a guy that he was friends with and it went from there. I think like the first probably five or so clients were friends of friends. And I think that that was really helpful because I think in those like really initial stages of like, am I going to do this thing? <laughs> you know, when I started to get inquiries from people being like, oh, do you do one-to-one coaching? And I'm like, I guess I do. Like you got to start somewhere, right? You just do it and then you do it again. How long did it take for the certification? It was a year long, quite long in the coaching world. Not long to me compared to like lawyer world. You know, five years of university, but in coaching world, it's pretty robust. I think I have a judgment where I assume most of these coaches are just like they're not their bad people, but they're like, hey, like I've helped a few friends do it. I'm a coach now. Yeah, I find it fascinating that you went and studied it for a year. 
What did you learn that you didn't think you knew? A big part of that program, the biggest value add for me, I think, was around the like somatics and nervous system stuff, because that was very new to me. And I think like, you know, the tools around that were the main value add. I think a lot of the knowledge was not as new to me because I'd done so much. Like it's always been an interest area for me, the relationship stuff. Like I've always been heavy into reading all about this and I'd studied psychology for a couple of years in high school and I did it at university, not like as a major, but sort of units along the way in psych. So like a lot of these things were familiar to me, but I think like that big piece uh, was really the importance of our nervous system in everything, but particularly in relationships and the tools around nervous system regulation and being able to weave that into the work. I say to people, and I really mean it, that like in my own life, that has been like the biggest change is like becoming attuned to my own nervous system and being able to like consciously regulate when I notice myself going off center. It's a superpower. Tell me more about that. So for all of us, we've got like, you know, a base level of regulation when you're sort of in your, what's often called your rest and digest state, right? This is like the maintenance systems of the body can do their thing. You feel relaxed, you feel connected. It's like where a lot of creativity lives. We can be in relationships in that place because we're sort of feeling calm and open and all of those things. Then when we any sort of like stress arises, any trigger, a stressor in the environment, and that might be like at work or in your relationship or anything, you start to sort of go into your sympathetic nervous system, which is like your fight or flight, right? It's like the mobilization response of the body where it's basically readying you for, oh, we've perceived a threat and now we have to do something about it. So it's like either I have to like go towards the threat and that's like the fight thing or go away from it, and that's the flight aspect. And noticing like physiological cues in your body, and it's different for everyone, but you know, there are some themes there. So like your heart rate increasing, heat, like your breath shortening, all of that. It's like you're being pumped full of, you know, adrenaline, cortisol, all those things that are readying you to fight or run away. Like noticing when you're starting to sort of ascend that curve and going, okay, I need to like stop and check in with myself and slow everything down because particularly insofar as relationships are concerned, if you try and like just push through that and keep going, whether that's like a conversation with someone and you're both becoming dysregulated, you don't have the capacity at that time and in that mode to have a productive conversation. And so being like, oh, okay, I know that when these things start to happen, my body is going into this dysregulated state where it's perceiving a threat and it's my responsibility to bring myself back down before I make my next move because I know that that's not productive and doesn't end well for me to just keep trying, whether it's like keep engaging or, you know, keep doing what I'm doing in that state because your judgment's really clouded. It's all just like everything speeds up. Your nervous system is perceiving that you're in danger. And like, there's no time to think about different points of view or like, you know, possible interpretations. It's just like black and white and it's fast and it's through this lens of we're not safe right now. And so we see other people's behavior as threatening and we go to protect ourselves whatever way we know how, right? What was your aspiration when you thought, hey, I'm going to leave lawyer. I like this relationship stuff. I'm going to consider a career here. Like, what was your dream? It's a really good question. 
I think my dream now, the ideal would be to be able to help a lot of people with like my online programs. So that's sort of like a burgeoning part of my business model now. And it's really cool because like, you know, the first online course that I launched in March, you know, I had like 160 people from 26 countries, men, women, like 20 years old to 70 years old, like this just incredibly broad net of people. And to be able to continue to like serve a lot of people with my work is a pretty cool thing. The only resistance I feel to like really claiming or declaring that goal is, you know, like the imposter syndrome piece of like, oh, could I really do that? And it's like, yeah, like you can really do that. So I just have to like have little internal coaching dialogues with myself. But I think like, you know, building out that part of the business to be able to serve a lot of people. And then I think the really nice thing about that is having the freedom to work with people really like only super ideal clients. So I think in the earlier stages of starting a coaching business, it's a bit like you take what you can get. And I think like being able to work exclusively with people who you feel really aligned with, who like really get it and who are really ready to like show up and do the work. So having like a small number of really great clients and then be serving a lot of people through the online stuff. How did you get the first customer not through a referral? First five referrals? Instagram. So pretty much everything has been Instagram from the outset, which is cool. The setting up a business on Instagram was very much my first time like actively creating content and posting and doing that whole piece. So it's been nice to feel like I've found a bit of a rhythm around that and figured out my voice and all of that stuff in a way that's resonating with people. And I think it is, I do try to be, you know, somewhat like nuanced on Instagram because it's an absolute mess and there's so much content overload and a lot of it is, you know, just like sort of poppy and, you know, like five signs your ex-boyfriend is a narcissist, like over and over and over again. And I just don't think that's helpful because it's just so reductive. And I get so many questions from people being like, does this mean this? Or like, how do I know? It's just like, take a breath. Like it's probably not binary like that. It's messy. And I think that all of this online stuff has created a tendency for us to want like quick and clear short, easy answers and solutions to all of these things that are messier and more complicated than that. And so my challenge and what I really seek to do is, you know, within the parameters of the content constraints on Instagram is to try and add a level of like nuance and something that feels a bit less basic for want of a better word. How did you decide to run your business off Instagram? And then do they teach you that in the certification school? They do have like a business aspect to it, but that sort of came towards the tail end when I was already creating an Instagram account. I think that as I was doing a bit of research and I had already been following a few coaching accounts, even when I was lawyering, I think I just noticed and observed that that was like the main platform that coaches use for the most part. And I guess because I was familiar with it, it felt like the obvious starting point. I don't know if it's the same in the US, but certainly here, like 
therapists in particular usually have pretty shit websites. And so it's like, <laughs> it's like really old school, like bad design, like bad, not very user-friendly. And I think that particularly with coaching, because it's probably a slightly different tone to the coaching relationship and you're usually signing up to work with someone for a period of time you want to get more of a feel for who they are before you take that step whereas I think people approach something like therapy by like I'll just find someone who's kind of recommended and available and like that's their picture and that's their blurb and that's all I go off whereas I think for people to want to move forward working with a coach they want to get more of a feel for the person and so I think Instagram is probably well suited to like conveying more of a sense of who you are through that content. So it works in that sense. How long have you been doing it? About 18 months. How long did it, before you got your first client from Instagram? Maybe six months. Because I think people like timeframes. Like for me to get rich took a long time and I try to tell people that. So I'm like, just find something you want to do for a long time because it's going to take a while to, for it to work. Yeah, totally. And I had my Instagram account for probably like, 14, 15 months and it was like slow going, slow going, slow going. And then in February this year, went from like 2,000 followers to now three months later, almost 40,000 followers in like purely organic, just like it blew up. And I think that keep showing up, keep doing the thing. Like it's not some sort of like quick and easy path. And I think that's like entrepreneurialism more broadly. It's like you actually have to be have the self-belief and the self-trust to keep showing up even when it feels hard and even when the resistance comes up and even when you doubt yourself, keep showing up and trusting that like you'll get to where you're meant to be. I was trying to reflect how you felt courageous to choose the path that, hey, I don't want to be this lawyer person. So I'm curious how it feels today. Like you did it. You're living that dream. I was going for a run the other day by the beach at like 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. And I was reflecting on just that, like, wow, I'm proud of myself because I did a courageous thing. And like, I'm reaping the rewards of that in this moment, like in a very like, like right now I'm going for a run by the beach at like 2 p.m. on a beautiful afternoon being like, wow, I'm really grateful for my life. And I'm grateful to myself for being courageous, even when it felt very scary. And even when I didn't know if or how it was going to work, I feel more fulfilled and I think there's this sense of like I like myself more now because I feel like I'm not like lying to myself you know there's this real sense of like inner tension when you're doing a thing that isn't what you really believe in and it's like oh I'm kind of betraying myself by doing this I'm betraying like that inner voice that's like no that's not the thing like you know that's not the thing I listened to that. I think that like the self-trust that comes from that, the self-respect that comes from that has such ripple effects into every aspect of your life. It's like, oh, I can actually like be proud of myself and my life and my choices. And that's a really nice feeling. Lately, I feel like I'm second guessing a lot of my choices. Mm. And then it does create that lack of trust and that lack of like self-worth. Then I have to try to come back to like, just be a little nicer to yourself. Like I was in therapy yesterday and he's like, you're so ambivalent sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, one, that is a really big word. But two, like, yeah, it's, it creates this level of tension and it feels like very stressful, like all day. Yeah. 
And then, you know, to your original point, it's like, what am I afraid of? Or what are we afraid of that we're maybe not willing to face? Yeah. The additional tension that comes from the self-judgment of like, I shouldn't be feeling this or I should be somewhere else or like, this shouldn't be so hard. It's like, there's like a primary experience. And then all of the stuff we layer on top of the meta emotions, like the the way we feel about how we're feeling and that's how we really drag it out and like just spin around in the tension, right? It's like, oh, I feel anxious. Why do I feel anxious? I shouldn't feel anxious. I'm not meant to feel I'm like, let it all go. It's okay. What would it be like to actually just stay with the primary experience of the thing rather than to start trying to fix and solve and judge it? Sounds relaxing. Hmm. Should try it. Yeah, I think I stress myself out about like I'm supposed to be in a relationship, or maybe I should be single, or I should be trying to be serious about this, or just go date and have fun. I think that's where I kind of go in circles around this different stuff. Yeah, I think the like the should aspect of that, it's like, oh, what's that about? Like, what's the should story? Should is as a word, it sort of has this energy of like I'm like dragging myself towards a thing. You know, it's like, what do I actually want? I think where I get tripped up on that though is that. I think about what do I really want in five years versus what do I really want now? And then I think that's where there's like Noah today and Noah plus five is like having some debates. Yeah. How do you reconcile that? I don't know. I think they're like, what do I want today being different from what do I want in five years? Like if the five year thing requires me to start building something today, then the question is why is it different and what's the resistance to that which I want in five years right now. Like, what do I think that I'm losing out on or what's like the downside that I'm perceiving about that now? And why do I think that's going to be different in five years? And is that necessarily true? Or is that just a story that I'm telling myself to avoid doing a hard thing or doing a vulnerable thing today? How much did you generally charge your first people? My first ever session was 120 Australian dollars an hour. Is that like 10 American? Is that US? <laughs> no, it's probably about 90 US dollars an hour. <laughs> I'm just joking. All right. <laughs> and then what does your business model look like today? As in like income streams? Yeah, I don't need to know your exact revenue. I think it's interesting for others that are listening to say like, hey, I've always dreamed about being a tennis coach mm-hmm. or being you know, a baking coach. Yeah. And so I think it's helpful to see other playbooks. Yeah. So the course that I launched was like, that was a real hit, which was great. That did really well. And so that sort of will make up a big chunk of my revenue for this financial year and going forward, I'm about to relaunch it again. Coaching, I do have maybe five at the moment because I've scaled back my one-to-one coaching as I've been building out the course aspect. I've got five ongoing one-to-one clients who do like a three-month package. And then I do a handful of one-off sessions that's kind of like the revenue streams. I have a couple of other smaller digital products. As I mentioned, like still playing around with what the balance is that I like and that feels good in terms of how much time I'm spending doing that, particularly as it becomes less of a necessity financially, right? And I have the luxury of discretion around that. I love that you call it luxury. You said that a few times. (laughs) Not in a bragging way, but I guess I've had the luxury, but I don't appreciate the luxury. Yeah, I mean, I do feel like I'm luxuriating in my life at the moment, particularly when like the people around me, you know, most of my friends are still lawyers and my life feels luxurious. The space and time that I have 
in a day, the choice and the freedom feels luxurious. It's kind of interesting to like unpack um, <laughs> the like what connotations luxury has. Like, is luxury like a shamey word? Like, is there some sort of guilt around luxury? <laughs> um, and it's, I guess I don't think I mean it in that way, but maybe there is. Maybe I do feel like, oh, is it allowed to be this easy? <laughs> Am I allowed to have this much like space and freedom and still make money, like make more money than I was making as a lawyer? It's a process. It's like there's lots of, you know, mindset pieces in that. Roughly how much are the one-offs and how much is the course? The one-offs are 350 US dollars an hour. The course is 333 US dollars and that's a six-week course. How did you figure out the pricing? Everyone loves asking that. Hmm. I didn't really. I plucked it out of thin air. For the first round, it was two, two, two for the early bird, um, <laughs> and then four, four, four for the general registration. It was probably seventy percent purchased at the early bird price, and then maybe thirty percent at the general registration price. And then for the second round, I sort of always flagged that that was an introductory price, and I think that for what you get, that's pretty good value. So now for the second round that I'm about to launch at 333, I decided to increase it a bit because, you know, it's six weeks. It's like, you know, a lot of content, a couple of live calls with me in addition to a lot of other content and stuff. And I think that even that for less than the cost of one session with me, I think that that's pretty great value. Interesting to see how this next launch goes. Oh, I thought you were going to do 333 early board and like 666 for like after early <laughs> I board. I might be getting a bit like... I think that um, <laughs> I think that it's um, there's certainly like a price point that makes it. I think when you get into like 400 to 500, it tips over into like people going like, well, that feels like a lot of money. So I think the 666, I think that would knock a lot of people out. Are you doing early board again? Yeah, at the 333. And then it goes to 444 for regular? Yeah. I don't know how I guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. You um, my magic pricing formula. <laughs> how is your relationship? It's good. It's much healthier than my last relationship. That was another sort of piece of my leaving law journey was leaving a not very healthy relationship. But my current relationship is great. It's not easy. Relationships aren't. But I think we have a real foundation of respect and trust and commitment that allows us to work through hard things in a safe way and in a way that feels like regulated and that there's space for us to be vulnerable and to share things and that we've figured out a way of having those conversations and respecting each other's needs and respecting our differences in a way that doesn't feel threatening because I think that's like what so many couples fall into is like, oh, the ways in which we're different make us enemies. That sends you into that threat perception zone where you're just like on guard all the time and you can't really build from there very effectively. How did you know who to choose to be in a relationship with? <laughs> I think like some of the things that I really value and look for are like integrity, honesty, reliability, consistency the kind of non-negotiables for me and particularly having come from a relationship where those things were lacking and I think you know I know that that doesn't work for me 
But on top of that, I think you can only list out so many things, right? And I think that it's useful to have clarity around what's really important to you. And then there's like a certain something almost wordless on top of that as a feeling. Just listening to that feeling. Yeah. And trusting. And I think also like, you know, people are like, how do we know if it's the right person? It's like, A, there's probably no such thing, right? Like this whole idea of the one is just like unhelpful. That's not true. Like there are a million people who you could happily have a relationship with, probably more. It's kind of about like opting in and choosing it and then seeing what happens, right? Because if we're like in this purgatory of like one foot out the door because I'm not 100% sure that they're the one, it's like, yeah, well, how is that going to shape the way you show up to that relationship? You're not going to be bringing the energy of like, are we building something together if you're like constantly in the state of hypervigilance or scrutinizing everything to be like, oh, are you the one? Would the one do that? Would the one make me feel like this? And it's like, oh, let some of that go. And can I just like show up today curious about this person and what I'm creating with them? Be committed, not necessarily like for the rest of my life, but like committed for now that like I'm in this and I'm choosing this and then see what happens. One thing you did that's really interesting is you kind of picked a, a niche in relationship because like, you talk about anxious attachment a lot. Is that something that you just started from the beginning or do you notice as you put out that material people resonated with? Yeah, it's very much the latter. I feel like it chose me. Like I put out, you know, one video about it and it went a bit crazy. And so it was like, okay, I'll put out another one. And then, you know, by the time I was putting out a third one, I'm like, oh, am I really going to be the anxious attachment chick? <laughs> and then like just kept going and, you know, was really getting a lot of traction. I was like, okay, maybe I could like, make a course about this because it's something that I've certainly experienced and that I had that I know a lot about. You know, I didn't set out with the intention to create that as my thing, as my niche. It really like was quite iterative. What's your current content schedule? Like one a day? Like how do you think about that? I try to post maybe four or five times a week and alternating between a written post and a reel. That's sort of the broad strategy, but to be honest, I don't plan those all in advance. I don't have like a content, I don't schedule it, I don't do that. It's like, okay, I need to make a reel today. Like, what could I speak about? Or I might like put a question box being like, what do you guys want to reel on? And I'll get a bunch of responses. Or, you know, I say when I do QA stuff, like I get way more questions than I could ever answer. And so I save those and they then become sort of part of the inspiration for content whether that's like on Instagram or the podcast that I've recently released like putting stuff there and it is pretty um day by day I know that's not what the playbook says to do but it kind of works you're just seeing how the day unfolds (laughs) (laughs) I honestly I just like being surprised by what you put out Hmm. there's some that definitely resonate the courageous stuff was good Hmm. there's a lot of them some of the stuff is stuff we've heard but we forget to do like Go ask your audience what they want to hear. And then guess what? Make that. So I actually wrote down, I'll do a Q&A for my audience and like share some things that they want help with. Yeah. I also love that you looked for what stood out and then has continued in it. And I do feel your words like, oh, I don't want to be this. But it's like, this is also what they want. So that's a balance because you don't want to do it if you hated it. Yeah. It's interesting that something resonated. Totally. And I think it was that thing of like, oh, do I want to be that? Like, do I want that to be my thing? But it's like, well. Oh. Like again, the fear, like what's my story around that being my thing? And sure, like you hate it, of course, but 
is that just like me shying away from like really stepping into an identity or visibility or reach or all of those things that can feel a bit intimidating and what if I just owned that you know I get a lot of really beautiful messages from people saying that like they've never felt so understood and that they feel like I'm inside their head and all of that and it's like okay like this is helping people that's nice that's nice validation yeah it is great I love the wait listing I think other people do it but I feel like you do it very well about 100 people on the wait list at the moment it's crazy that's wild that's pretty cool <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> see if they like the three, three, three. <laughs> three, three, three. They, they will. They will. Did you consider doing YouTube? By the way, I've thought about it, but I haven't really delved into this YouTube Shorts world. Like, I'm definitely open to it, and also it's like crossed my mind to you know record video when I'm doing my podcast and put that on YouTube as well. But it's just like not a thing that I've done as yet and so I feel like it's maybe in the pipeline but I want to make sure that things feel sustainable and that I'm not trying to spread myself too thin by being in too many places but I think like certainly when it's a repurposing situation like that feels more doable than like creating content specifically for YouTube because you've already done all these reels that seems like it works like reposting them yeah I pretty much just do YouTube yeah like, I don't really have Instagram that well. Like, we're experimenting finally with TikTok, but like 90% of my putting out content is in the YouTube realm. I think it's maybe because like I don't use YouTube. I'm so not a person who would like sit and troll through YouTube. It would just it would never even occur to me to like open up YouTube of a day and like. Oh, really? Never. Oh. But I also like, I'm not really a TV person. Like, I don't like in my own time, like, I would never be like, oh, I'm going to watch a show or something. Like, I would do that with someone, but never on my own. Like if I had a couple of hours to myself, I wouldn't like open my laptop and like consume content, like have a bath and read a book or something. It's a lot of baths. (laughs) It is a lot of baths. (laughs) Yeah. No, I took a bath and I was reading Untethered Soul. uh, (laughs) And checks out. That's what I did last (laughs) night. Yeah. I had a candle and uh, and a bath bomb in it last night. I was feeling it. Yeah. I I try not to watch the shows these days. I'm leaning all the way into that. But I, I will ask a, a selfish question to finish off. Please. I've been single for a bit. I've been dating for two years. I find it just stressful. Mm. And I don't know if that's normal. I don't know how other people deal with it. I have another friend, Neville, that recommended you. Mm. And he's just he seems like he has so much fun with it. Mm. He's like, yeah, kind of go out and I meet all these really interesting people. And then I'm, I'd like to meet someone serious. And then I met someone and it goes well. Mm. And I'm like, oh, man, it just is like, it feels, exo- it feels like a job. Like I already have a company and I have a job. Mm. This feels like I, I treat it like a job, which maybe that in and of itself. So I was curious how you would think about making it less stressful or maybe how to explore it in a healthy way. Yeah, I think it's a great question. A lot of that comes back to all of those like pressure you're putting on yourself to like figure out what's right and wrong and what I should be doing or what I shouldn't be doing. And like, should I be looking for someone to spend my life with or should I just be having fun? I think when you've got like, the weight of all of that behind you when you're going into a dating scenario, like that's a lot of pressure. And so it's like, oh, what would it be like to just let go of some of that, like park that and be curious about the person in front of me and like just let it be what it'll be without having to make it something or like conduct this assessment of like, is this going to be a person that I want to marry and have kids with? Or, you know, am I just going to like go on two dates with them and never see them again? It's like, I think when you bring that energy to it, 
Of course, that's not fun. That's like high stakes, right? It's like, oh, what if I could just like let go of that and be present and curious with this person? And I think like to your friend's point, like see it as like I get to do this rather than like I have to do this. (laughs) I get to meet all these people. Like how cool is that? You know, sure, like dating apps are like a whole world. Fortunately, I've never had to use them myself, so I've not had to suffer through that. But from what I hear, they can be a bit of a swamp. But like, how can I see this as like, wow, how great is this that I have the opportunity to connect with and potentially meet all of these people that I may never cross paths with otherwise? Like, how can I just be curious about those opportunities and that I get to do that? And I can do that as much or as little as I want. I don't have to do that. And if you start feeling the have to, don't do it for a bit. Go to it clean, you know, energetically kind of clean. Went on a date and the woman's like, this feels like a wife interview. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) And she's like, chill out, bro. I was like, all right. I like some of the phrases you said that I think apply to a lot of different things, which is energetically clean. Yeah. And I think this applies for almost fucking everything. Mm-hmm. I had a job like yours where I fucking hated it. And I was like, this just doesn't feel right. And so I was like, let's go find something that feels right. And eventually years later, I found you know what I get to do now. I get to do AppSumo. I get to do podcasts, meet cool people like you, share oh. your story. Mm. It's like a luxury that like I'm a bit able to meet all these people and I'm like complaining about it and mm. like stressing about it. Yeah. The I have to versus the I get to kind of energy shift. It's like, oh, that's a nice reframe even on a daily basis rather than like, oh, I have to, like, I have to coach today. It's like, oh, I get to coach today. Cool. Like, I get to do a job. How can I, like, move out of that energy of should and have to? And there's no agency in that, right? It's like we feel like we're being, like, dragged around our life no, I get to do a thing and I'm doing that because I choose to. Even if you're at a shitty job that you don't really like, it's like, oh, okay, like I'm choosing that because I want the money. Fine. Like, but own the fact that it's a choice and then like go and do the thing rather than acting as if you don't have choice and that you're some sort of like victim or passive like character in your own life. Where should people go support you? Like if we can get the whole audience to go do something... What would you like to do? I don't like, you know, people who do that in the show, like, where can they find you? It's like Google. You use the site Google and you find that. Her name is Stephanie Rigg. Look it up. Yeah, I think Instagram would be the place to go. That's where I'm most active and where most of my people are. So at Stephanie underscore underscore Rigg, R-I-G-G on Instagram. And I've also got a podcast that I've launched recently, which is called On Attachment. So you can find that by searching On Attachment wherever you listen to podcasts. What kind of person should they refer to consume your material? People who maybe have a hard time with relationships and that feel a bit stuck in that. Whether they're self-doubt or the same cycles and patterns and a sense of maybe hopelessness or exhaustion, exasperation that so many people feel. A lot of the feedback I get, which is such a nice thing to hear, is like, oh, I, I finally feel like I'm not alone and I'm not broken or like this isn't some sort of hopeless lost cause that like there's a reason that I experience these things and there's a way out of it that's such nice feedback for me to get yeah I agree when you were talking I was like can you just stop talking about me (laughs) I also get that a lot (laughs) yeah I was like talk about someone else all right so if you have friends who don't seem in healthy relationships or seem stuck a little bit yeah 
on how they're approaching relationships. Yeah. Any other books you recommend that helped you or that you thought were beneficial in, in this journey? Because I think of you, I was like, oh, I'm going to get attached again. Mm. That pretty popular book. I stopped it halfway through. Yeah. I got unattached. I think attached is like the entry point for a lot of people into attachment theory, but it's not compassionate enough towards avoidant people for my liking. <laughs> and I think that avoidant people get a really bad rap in like the online Insta therapy world. It's like, oh, avoidant people are like emotionally unavailable and narcissists and rah, 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 rah. And I think, you know, avoidant people are just scared like everyone else and they've got their ways of keeping themselves safe, which is by pulling away, withdrawing, like being alone. And it's, yeah, that can be hard if you're on the receiving end of it, but like compassion is really important. And so I think in any discussion of attachment stuff, compassion is really important to me, understanding like that these behaviors are driven by fear and that they're not going to be alleviated by like making someone wrong for their fear. (laughs) But book recommendations. There's a book called Hold Me Tight, which is written by Sue Johnson, and she's a sort of attachment guru. That's a nice book. I think reading is healthy, but people like, the answer is finally going to be in this one book. And I generally think the answer is almost always inside. We just don't want to answer it. Totally. Particularly a lot of the people I work with, and it's very much like the anxious attachment type is like, oh, can I think my way out of this? I do it all behind the scenes by myself. Like unilaterally solve all the problems in my relationship by thinking and you know, just finding the answers and then it will all make sense. Usually it's a little more messy and complicated than that. We can't think our way out of feeling. Stephanie underscore underscore. Do you regret that, by the way, that you didn't get the Stephanie rig? Yeah, I do. Well, I tried, obviously, but unavailable. So Who is know. this? I don't know. You should call her. I think you can get it. Stephanie Rigg is not used. Really? No underscores. I think you can actually submit to Instagram. I would do it if I were you, especially at your popularity. And I think you can get it. Ah, Well, there you go. Thanks, Noah. Everyone, what we just said about the double underscore, let's grab that. (laughs) (laughs) We're now underscore free. It's straight Stephanie Rigg. All right. Well, I hope uh, everyone has their Google searching and and enjoys all the luxuries uh, we have in life. (laughs) Well, that is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Go check out Stephanie at Stephanie Rigg. That's Stephanie, R-I-G-G dot com. Also show her some love on Instagram if you're curious to learn more about her. That is Stephanie double underscore. So underscore, underscore, R-I-G-G. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, I love you. Before you go, tweet at me or slide in my DMs or follow me on TikTok at Noah Kagan. I respond to most messages. I would love to hear what you thought of the episode. And before we check out, because I know you haven't checked out yet, you never check out. You always check in. Go to sendfox.com slash Noah. That is my weekly newsletter with exclusive nuggets. I think you're going to love it. Sendfox.com slash Noah and create your own newsletter while you're there. It's a great way to build a future business and connect with awesome people. Plus, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash OKDork. We put out a video about three a month, which are insanely inspirational and fun videos to help you on your business journey. Finally, a couple of shout outs to my amazing team. Thank to Jason at podcasttech.com. I sound super nasally when I record this. He fixes that and a lot more other things. Thank you, Jason. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen from the Dork Team for everything y'all do. Finally, shout out to all the partner success team people at AppSumo for helping make sure all the products we promote on AppSumo. This is Steve and Tamir and everybody else making sure the partners have a great success. Great success. Have a luxurious day. What's your favorite scent? <laughs>